Part eight of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty Over the Fells. Before the building was done, that is to say, in the early spring when Thorstein had been now three winters among the red folk, there was once more rumour of war throughout all the north, and the sound of it came even to these wildernesses, so far as they were apart from the dwellings and intercourse of men. For Cartney, the giant, being in this respect like Swain Bjornson, was a borderer and a dweller on no man's land. That is to say, he had no laws nor kings over him, and was bound to no government of lawmakers. And yet he was akin to other gales dwelling up and down these parts, who, though they were at ancient feud with their Welsh neighbours, yet could let sleeping dogs lie when it served their turn, and play at give and take, or even do good work for Owain the king of Cumbria. For since these hardy hunters and fell-runners knew the lie of the land better than settled ploughmen or townsfolk, in many ways they were useful, as in guiding the Northmen to decor, and in spying upon them often, when little they knew what eyes were gleaming through the green leafage. Add to this that Cartney and his like found the king's service not unprofitable, and poor folk must live, however proud they be. So when war was talked of, the news came to their ears somehow, handed on from one to another of the woodlanders, or picked up at market, for there were times when they came in to sell their furs to the Welsh or Anglians at burgs and trading-places on the outskirts of the mountains, as at Broughton or Ravenglass, Cartmel or Bowness. This time it seemed certain that the North was going to rise against the South in good earnest. Constantine and Olaf Quaren, Owain and the new Dublin king, Olaf Guthferson, had made common cause. Says the giant to Thorstein, Thy folk will be gathering at their meeting-place in the mountains, and that is hard by our meeting-place too. Thither I am going, and if thou hast a mind to see thy father. Say no more, cried Thorstein, and they made ready for the journey. In those days, to one who knew the country, the best roads were not always the high roads, but the tops and ridges of the fells. The valleys were all umbered up with trees or choked with swamps, and what with wild beasts and what with wild folk, travelling was no child's play. But in the waste wilderness of high moorland, on the tall rock ranges that joined peak to peak like bridges in the air, foe in the shape of mankind was hardly to be found. It was rough work over snow in winter, and through moss and mire in summer-time, and a stranger would easily be lost and never seen again. But these hunters were at home, anywhere between Skiddaw and Blackcombe. Cartney, the giant, with Thorstein and a few of the lads that followed him, were not far on their way, when there was a stir in the woods behind them, and presently through the coppice came a slim running figure in brogues and tightly knit plaid and deerskin and a great bush of red hair streaming behind. "'How now, Raniach?' says the giant. "'What folly is this? We want no wenches on this journey.' With that she pouted, and when he bade her turn back, she began to weep and sat down on a stone to lament. Thorstein was vexed to see her cry, and would have stayed by her to comfort her, for indeed it had been a sore parting, but a little while before. Then the giant took him by the elbow, and shoved him along the road, 
telling him not to be a fool, or never a sight of his father would he get. Well, they went along for a space, and as they climbed one height of the many on that moorland around which we call Beacon Tarn, where the lad used to fish with the lass, and while he was thinking that after all they were happy days he was leaving behind, just then one of them cried out that there was a stir again in the birch boughs on the height they had left, and a red spot flitted over the heather from cover to cover. Cartney bade the man shoot an arrow to scare their follower, and the man shot, but took care to aim wide. They pushed on until they were out of their own grounds, so to say, and nearing the houses of Coniston, for even in those days there was some habitation by the beck that leads down from the copper mines. They say that even in the time of the Romans, mining had been done thereabouts, when the old roads were open, and the country, since fallen into waste, was more populous. The name of the village, which is as much to say Kingstown, signifies perhaps that the York kings had officers there to take royalty and dues from those mines, as perhaps at Conishead, king's men took toll from the ironworks of Pennington and the traffic by the old road of Furness. All such metal works paid tax to the king in ancient times, but in the time of our story, whatever ancient doings may have been at Coniston, were already of the past. The people who then remained were but few and rude, the children of fathers who had seen brighter days. Yet were they better off than the fell folk in the high grounds, of whom scattered families lived here and there in many a spot on the moors. As the travellers came towards the place along the brow between Banniside and the lake, there was a shout in the rear, and a scream which they could not but understand. So they ran back on their traces, and soon saw Raniach fighting and kicking in the grip of a rough fellow, who made off when he saw the big men. It was little use to scold her, and too late to carry her back home. Gartney said no more when she came up with them, and only strode on with his best foot foremost, so that it was all she could do to trot after and keep in sight for many a weary hour. From Coniston they slanted up great crags by a narrow pathway, until they got to the top of the high waterfall we call the White Lady, because she comes and goes like a wraith. Thence they found their way over the bogs to Weatherlam Cove and the head of the great gill that runs down into Ewdale. Wolfdale, the Northmen called it, as it seems by its old name of Uldale, and a terrible wild place it would have been in those times. Then away they went up and down over the rough fells, until they found lodging for the night in a lone dell Langdale way, with some kindred fell folk who had their huts there. The children were right glad to rest their swollen and battered feet on a heather heap all night, whether asleep or awake, while the men talked loud round the fire. The morning it was up and away over wilder ground than ever, climbing by the ledges of rock to the bogs that make it as it were a thatched roof above the walls of those great mountain houses, whose streets are the dales, and whose gables are the peaks. All day long it was wading work through the mosses, or clambering over the screes, up and down long slopes that seemed in the passing clouds and showers to lead no whither but into the rain and the mist. In the afternoon they were aware of a great valley beneath them. They had come, so to say, to the eaves of the house of mountains, and yet could not look over, nor see what was going on below. 
but they were above the dale through which the great roman road goes where lies the city of helvellyn and the lake of thirlmere and the northman's lawburgthwaite at the city of helvellyn as gartney reckoned there would be some force posted to defend the border and the main road to the south for it would be a likely point of attack with this point guarded and the coast road and the maiden way that comes through the westmoreland fells king owain would be safe and free to throw his whole power upon york by the great way over the keel and it was thought that the king himself might soon be there to speak about the defences with the people of the place and with the northmen whose all thing would be held hard by but gartney had no mind to put his daughter in the way of owain's soldiers any more than to leave her in the clutches of the ruffian on Bannyside. Neither would he give Thorstein the chance of getting away before his time. So he avoided the Welsh burg at Withburn, the city of which we spoke, and led them down upon a dwelling of his kindred, such as dwelt here along the brink overlooking Thirlmere, on the Ben, as we still call it in their language, the great mountain between Armboth and Thirlmere Waterfoot. Chapter Twenty One, Alwyn. Down came they through the bracken, which was just beginning to shoot among the boulders of the moor, and were stopped by a group of men who seemed to have sprung out of the ground, and indeed, for colour and rough aspect, they seemed to be part and parcel of it, as paddocks match mud, and caterpillars mimic twigs of trees. A shout in the fell folk's tongue put all to rights without fighting and then they saw two low houses on the slope of the moor built of great stones and roofed over with peat they passed by these to the head of a gill that ran sharp down between cut rocks and then they found more of these houses all low and four square in the plan better built than the heathwaite dwellings but squalid enough there were people about who welcomed them when they knew who the visitors were and came out of the huts unkempt and fierce as cartney's folk and yet as proud as he in their mountain fastness it was built on a nab between two ravines and the only path ran steeply down to the wath across thirlmere from this spot one could see the length of the lake and all its rugged shores cleft into scars and steeps and whatever was not rock or water was trees over against them was the great wall of helvellyn rising high and seemingly sheer and unattainable in the clouds of heaven such steepness and such dizzy terror of falling the children had never known as when they came to the utmost of the houses which stood on the axle of the nab where on either hand and in front the ground fell suddenly away as when one stands on a high tower and men are like mice underneath one's feet a woman kept house in this place not old but no longer young tall and sinewy in her arms with beautiful fair hair but a harsh face and a harsh voice she welcomed cartney and said little to the children but did them no harm and gave them a better supper than they were used to have on heathwaite fell for though the cot was rude she seemed to have plenty and there were neighbours and the road was below by which a sort of marketing could now and then be done if one had the means whereas at raniac's home neither love nor money could get what was never there to be got when they had eaten out they crept as children do to see the new place they had come to and looked over the brink into the gill with its soft moss and purple butterwort 
cushioning all the rough hard rocks and sweet fern fringing the fountains that sprayed into dimpling basins among the stone or slid down black slopes under a roof of silky barked birch and white flowering rowan here and there ancient gnarled hawthorn trees clung to the crags one especially was thick with may blossom as if it were loaded with snow its rich almond scent hung about the place coming and going like a breath the children scrambled down the steep side to get at its boughs from above for it grew close to the slope like a flower in a girl's bosom but when they broke a hole as it were in the white thatch what should they see but the loveliest lady in the world sitting among the twisted boughs and the finest prince in the world as it seemed to them standing below and reaching out his arms to her and speaking passionately with his eyes afire and bonny smooth cheeks aglow but when he saw the strange little faces thrust through the blossom roof with wide open mouths and staring eyes like goblins he slid away with a start down the forest slope like a snake in the winds so that they could just see the flash of his mail and the glint of red and blue in the leafage as he disappeared and when they looked again for the lovely lady she was gone they were too astonished to say a word but thorstein held raniach's hand and they climbed back to the cot and crept in bidden to sleep by the woman of the place it was not long before something bright was at the door and in came the lovely lady they had seen with grey eyes wide open as if she saw wonders and a smile that stirred their heart-strings and all her golden hair flaming about her green gown the woman they could only be mother and daughter looked at her quickly and looked at her again and even cartney who had not yet gone away bent his brows upon her in amazement then he made one of those clumsy reverences of his for he had at whiles a sort of half-forgotten courtesy about him like a man who has seen better days so this is thy lovely daughter said he when i saw elfin mat riddach the worthy lord warden of the march roll in the dust little did i think what sweet flower would have sprung from such a dunghill peace said the woman and thou alwyn what news news said the beautiful girl grand news nay what news should there be fool said the mother greet thy kinsman cartney macterniach famher that is the giant and give word of thine errand she kissed the big red man on the beard and stood thinking and said ah ah the king's men have come if that be all well said her mother and cartney oh a good troop maybe three score maybe six score i forget and the king oh ay the king i suppose and the young king i suppose and all as it should be but oh mother the hawthorn is sweet to-night and the birds are wild with their singing and i was fain to bide out in the gill it was bad of me for i should have been here serving the company is our good kinsman suppered where are his folk what can i do to help thee and she began as if to busy herself with the housekeeping peace child said the mother gartney macterniach is served and for his folk they are bestowed two of them hush they're asleep but thorstein and raniach vaguely bethinking them of manners little learned on heathwaite fell 
sat up on the heather heap in the corner which was their bed alwyn started at the two goblin faces the red head and the tow head unkempt and uncouth rising in the dark corner and she screamed and laughed wildly what's to do with the silly thing now cried the woman and shook her but all she got was a flood of tears cartney was mightily aggrieved that his children should be taken for goblins and all manner of talk was held as alwyn came to her right mind and said she was sick and lay down in her bed and so they all rested uneasily enough for that night in the morning she was quite another lass and chattering like a jay raniach her young kinswoman was made much of and if she stared shyly at the wonderful beauty for half a day she was won over into companionship by the afternoon the lad was ill at ease he could not tell why though nobody spoke him aught but fair gartner was away to the king's army and now and again there were sounds of stirring below as if horns were blown far down through the forest and men shouted thorstein moped about staring at the great mountains half hidden by rain and mist while the two lasses foregathered he came in and helped his hostess with her tasks but she looked at him askance he had never felt more a stranger even in his first days among the fell folk at bedtime the beautiful alwyn turned to him and waved her hand lads lie there she said raniach is my bedfellow thorstein crept into the place she pointed at it was a tiny little shed at the end of the hut a sort of kist of stone walling just high enough to crawl into and long enough to lie in a dog kennel or a fowl house it might have been but the heather was soft within and he crept out and gathered more and piled it around him early in the morning he was awakened raniach's face was at his feet peeping in through the door-hole hey she said whispering loud and eagerly thorstein listen i know it all the bonny man is the king's son wake thorstein alwyn wears his gold collar round her neck i saw it when she doffed her clothes and she gave him a ring thou wilt give me a gold collar thorstein wake up lad and thy father killed her father think o that he was a wicked man and they were glad but domnail is a lovely man and if thy father hadn't killed her father she would be a lady at the castle down there domnail is the king's son thorstein and alwyn will be queen thorstein oh poor thorstein they said thou wast a wolf's club but i said nay now thou must have a red coat and i would have thine eyes shine like go away growled the lad from his lair chapter twenty two thorstein sees his father now all this while thorstein was eager for a sight of his father why else was he here and all the more because his heart was sore against raniach who could so lightly leave him for a fine friend he bethought him little as he knew of love-making that he must cap yon glittering welshman or else be cast off as a good-for-naught and a lout there was only one way of doing this namely to get back among his own people and let it be seen what like they were and what like was he when his hand was in its glove again over yonder he knew was the althingstead somewhere across the water run he could and swim 
why not away so he slipped off and slid down the gill steep and steeper down the great crags beneath the fell folks houses and buried deep and dark in trees that covered the brink on both hands with well-nigh impassable thickets down the cliff he went holding by tuft and ledge and at last let himself go sliding down the scree with a fall that brought him to the water's edge it was a black basin of rock into which the white foam tumbled through the ferns a secret place among rowan and hawthorn in the splashing water lay great rocks some as it were bits of carven pillars six-sided and others whose fragments were bright with red and green colours and curiously inlaid with patterns of white and black that looked like lace-work they seemed to be the precious stones folk put in rings and brooches only larger and more precious in every way he picked them out of the water and broke them smaller to get the glowing bits out thinking what fine jewellery he had lit upon there would be enough for more than raniac could wear ay and for every one he knew and maybe gold might be found where jewels were if he could but light upon it he hunted stones up and down the gill until he was wearied not to say bruised and bleeding with his scrambling among the sharp rocks and with many a fall in dub and force and so he lay down wet as he was beside his heaped treasure and slept but when he awoke the bright colours on the stones had all faded they shone only while they were lying in the water and against the black and grey of the wild rocks in the gill the white hawthorn and the purple butterwort were brighter by far and faded not so soon as the fairy colours of these stones then he bethought him to explore the gill and find his way down to the lake for every beck comes to dale at last but this was no beck like the streams of the lower moorlands it was all fierce forces with rocks on either side and when the ground was ever so little passable the trees had got a hold of it and hedged it up and yet he won down and lighted upon the road that led to the wath then came folk thorstein went back into the wood for he dared not risk being seen in broad daylight he forced his way up the brow of the fell aslant through the trees and struck a path that brought him to the houses above so the long day wore and the gloaming came late as it does in lakeland in midsummer but it came and the lasses were abroad and the woman thronged with her housekeeping in the cot he slipped away down the gill again and found the big road and stood a while wondering whether he should swim the lake or go boldly by the general fording place then there was a noise of horses and men he climbed a hammer a jutting rock that overhung the road and lay down flat upon it to see and not be seen the troop of wayfarers came on in silence as wearied men who had travelled far between morning and this late twilight time on wearied beasts ponies we should call them rather than horses for the nags they rode in those days were tiny compared with the great chargers of the knights in after ages it was grey murk by now and only when they came close beneath him did thorstein know them for northmen but even so their mail coats and their fighting helms of iron with great leather flaps disguised them he crept nearer to the edge to look over a stone fell from underneath him and one of them passing beneath looked up sharply father 
"'Father!' cried the lad, but at that very instant was gripped from behind and throttled fiercely, and dragged up into the wood, with two great hands round his neck and a knee in his back to hold him down, quick or dead. Beneath, upon the road, there was a scurrying to and fro, as Swain Bjornson swore it was his lad's voice, and he would know it anywhere. "'Nay, man, it was but an owl,' said some and others upheld that it was some trick to draw them into ambushment, or maybe a troll of that hag-ridden wilderness. Swain climbed the hammer, where nothing was to be seen or heard but the roar of the beck in the gill, and a grisly groaning in the wood that might be wind in the trees, or wood sprites, or what not. So they went forward, none the slower for this adventure, and the sound of them died in distant pattering. Ah! "'My little wolf-cub,' said the giant Cartney, loosing his grip of Thorstein's throat. "'So thou hast eyes for thy father, and none for thy foster-father. "'Well, what was my promise? That thou shouldst see him, and thou hast seen him. "'Good, we art quits. Now, no more straying of nights, dog. Get to thy kennel.' And he drove him through the woods with many a stripe, and kicked him into his lair and rolled a big stone against the hole of it. End of part eight.